As we come this morning to the time of the message, I'm excited because this is a message I have brought before the church before, but God impressed upon my heart that the timing was now as we prepare to embark upon, I believe, one of the uh, pivotal moments in the history of our church. Uh, Wednesday night in our church conference, as we as a body of believers calling ourselves Cornerstone Baptist Church, Winston-Salem deliberate on some very crucial matters that set the direction of our church to lead us in the course, uh, along the course of becoming an even stronger biblical congregation of believers in Jesus Christ. And so I want us to revisit our church's vision. And I'm sure that on the tip of everybody's tongue this, this morning, if I were to ask you, what is our church vision? Right away, some of you would be saying it right off. Becoming a kingdom church for the glory of God. You know, God understands the crucial role, the absolute vital role that vision plays in the, in the hearts and in the lives of His people and in the functioning of His people. In fact, the Scripture says where there's no vision, the people perish or they go unrestrained. They begin to wander. God understands that His people need vision to continue to draw them and to follow Him, to give them a sense of purpose and direction. I think about it all the way back in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis in chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, where God gave Abraham a vision. Called him out from all the people of the world and said, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation of you. And I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make your name great. And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and through you. In other words, this great nation that will come out of you, Abraham, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now that's a vision. And I believe Abraham never lost sight of that vision. And it was passed on to his people who became the Jews. But you know, God realized that it was important even as He was given a call into Moses. Back in Exodus, in chapter 3, you may recall when God was encountering Moses, who was a fugitive at this time, tending sheep on the backside of the desert, and God encountered him there with that great phenomenon we know as the burning bush. And God gave Moses a vision. In chapter 3, verse 7, He said, And the Lord said, to Moses, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and Hittites and Amorites and Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites. God said, I am going to take these people who are not a people, they're slaves. In the eyes of the world, they are nobodies. They have no rights. They are possessions themselves. And God says, Moses, I have a vision. And I'm going to bring them out of that, out of Egypt. Not only am I going to do that, I'm going to give them their own land. And they will be my people. Wow. What a vision. And God has given to us Cornerstone Baptist Church. And He does to every Bible-believing evangelical church that holds up the name of Jesus Christ. People who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. God is very willing to, to impart upon the hearts and the minds of His people through His Word, by His Holy Spirit, a vision to guide us so that we can understand where we are going and understand how, what it is we are to achieve for the glory of God. And our vision is becoming a kingdom church. And you'll notice the continual tense of the verb to become. We're not there yet. And ladies and gentlemen, we won't get there perfectly until we get to heaven. But we are always on the journey of becoming a church reflecting the kingdom of God for the glory of God. Why are we here? 
Why at this intersection of Highway 109 and Gumtree has God appointed for a congregation calling themselves Cornerstone Baptist Church to come out of Exodus from the fish camp and to come all the way over here and plant ourselves down here in the midst of the Wahlberg community and South Forsyth County community? Why are we here? And our vision statement says we exist for the purpose of glorifying God by enlisting, by enlisting and equipping and engaging and encouraging and empowering His disciples. That's why we're here. We're not here for the sake of Pleasure. We're not here for the sake of comfort. We're not here to simply have our ears tickled and to have just a good time and go on our way. And No, we're here for a divine purpose given to us in our vision by God. And it's all about His kingdom. It's all about His glory. Everything. Not just as a corporate body, but ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, your sole purpose for being on the face of this earth, and we've touched on it in our responsive reading, is for the glory of God. You're not on this earth that you might accumulate things, that you might experience pleasure, that you might have comfort, that you might make friends, that you might become powerful or prominent. That's not why we're here. We're here for one purpose only, and that is to bring glory to the God who created us and created all of creation, and we call Him the Lord. And as we re-examine our vision, I pray that you will open your hearts to consider where we are right now as a church and where it is that God has been wanting to lead us and what it is that God has been doing in our midst over the past several months and what we will be deliberating upon as we examine our core values, the proposed core values, as we consider the organizational structure of our church as we move into the future. How does it help us to fulfill the vision that God has given us? We're here for God's glory. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus told His disciples and He's telling you and me, you are the light of the world. Folks, this is a dark world we live in. It's a morally and ethically and spiritually dark world that we live in. And Jesus said to His followers, He said, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. And when I looked in the dictionary, that term glorify, that verb to glorify, means to extol, to light up brilliantly, to lift up in worship. And that's what Jesus says we are to be doing. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, in that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was telling His disciples, you want to know what your priority in life is? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. We are a kingdom people. We are a people of the kingdom of God because we belong to the King. It is the King who created us. It is the King who redeemed us by His own shed blood. It is the King who is coming again for us as His precious bride. It is the King that in whose presence we will abide forever and ever and ever. We are a kingdom people, and as a church, we are a kingdom church. We, we are Southern Baptists, sure, but let me tell you something far more than that, infinitely more than that. We are a part of the kingdom of God. And everything we do ought to reflect that. You know, we studied about persevering this morning in our Christian growth group and how we as Christians ought to persevere knowing that there are brothers and sisters in other parts of the world that are who are being persecuted, executed because of their faith. We, we've got it made over here. But even in the midst of our trials and hardships and struggles, you know, we must persevere. And even as we persevere, even as we encounter hardships, do you understand? We are still called upon by God's Word to give glory to God. Just because you're having a hard time, just because you're suffering, just because you've suffered a tragedy or you're going through a crisis, you never take time off in giving glory to God. 
Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. He said, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts and from, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of salvation. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The dictionary defines glory as renown, honor, magnificence, resplendence, distinguishing quality. This is what we owe to God. This is what we are here to give to God. Did you hear that? We are to be motivated by and inspired to always point to Him with our lives, to give Him glory in everything we do, especially as a gathered body of believers. Jesus was telling His disciples in John chapter 15, verse 8, He says, Herein is My Father glorified, that you, followers of Christ, you, believers, you, the church, that you bear forth much fruit. Be fruitful for the kingdom of God, He said. And by this, you will know that you are My disciples. And I will know that you are My disciples. If you are fruitful, then you're glorifying My Father. And Jesus says, then I know you are one of Mine. In Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, said to that church and to you and me today, now unto Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask and think, According to His power that works in you. Unto Him. Unto Him be the glory. Unto who? Unto God be the glory. Say it with me. Unto God be the glory. By Christ Jesus. Throughout all the ages. Throughout all of eternity, Paul says. It's all about Him. It's all about His glory. And a kingdom church is heavily invested in bringing glory to God. Let me tell you a few things about how we do that. First of all, talking about the universal body of Christ. All Christians. Irregardless of which denomination you belong to. Irregardless of which version of the Bible you read. Listen, this pertains to everybody. If we're the kingdom people of God, then as kingdom people of God, we commit to carry out Jesus' great commission. It's not a great suggestion. It is a commission given to us as followers of Jesus Christ there in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, when Jesus says, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Just before He was ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father, He says to His disciples, and He's saying to you and me, go therefore. You're going to be going, go. We're not a people to sit around. Jesus never calls us to gather. He's telling us to go. He says, go therefore and make disciples. As you go, make other followers just like you. Make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Dr. Gene Sims, in his book entitled Kingdom Principles of Church Growth, he identified the Great Commission as the driving force of every Bible-believing evangelical church. He, he as much as said, if the church is not committed to and consumed by doing the Great Commission, you are way off path. You have missed the mark as a church. You have failed in your purpose for being. And as a kingdom church, we are committed to carry out the great commission of Jesus Christ. And we don't do it in our own talent. We don't do it in our own strength. We don't do it in our own power. Jesus told His disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, just before He ascended into heaven, He says, and when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive the power. All the power. Not part of the power. He says, you will receive all the power you need. Now therefore go. You will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. God never calls His people to do that for which He will not equip and empower us to do. Committed to the Great Commission, but committed to practicing His great commandments. You remember in Mark's Gospel chapter 12 and also in Matthew's Gospel chapter 22, you remember the scribe that came to Jesus and tried to trip Him up? They were always trying to do that. 
Knowing that there were hundreds of laws that the Jews were trying to, to, to keep and to obey. And he, uh, he says, now, now tell us, which one is the best? Which one is the greatest? Which one is number one? And Jesus, without batting an eye, says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then He went a step further and He said, And the second is likened to it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Number one, love God with all your being. Number two, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Let me tell you something. A kingdom church for the glory of God is committed to carrying out and practicing His great commandments. This is our motivation. Our love for God is our motive for following Him, for sacrificially giving to Him, for serving Him, for worshiping Him. We are not motivated by guilt. We're not motivated by legalism. We are motivated by love. Could I get an amen? Oh, that's why God's people come to church. That's why people, God's people engage in the study of the Word of God. That's why God's people love one another is because we love God with every ounce of our being. That's what a kingdom church for the glory of God we also are committed to observing the Ten Commandments. You say, oh, time out. Hold on, preacher. We're new book. That's old book. We're under the covenant of grace. We're not under the covenant of the law anymore. True. We are under the covenant of grace. But the Ten Commandments were given by God to direct His people to give them godly, righteous principles that would set them apart from the rest of the pagan world. Since when did those Ten Commandments become archaic? Since when did they become outdated? You shall love the Lord your God. You shall have no other God. You shall not make images or uh, graven images unto yourself. You shall not take the, the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall uh, observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Uh, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord has given unto you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear, bear false witness against your, your neighbor. You shall not covet. Your neighbor's house or his, 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 his servant or his wife or anything. Since when are they out of date? Those divine righteous principles are just as applicable today with the exception we don't meet on the Sabbath. We still meet on a day that we observe as the Lord's day to give Him praise and honor and to worship Him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, He says, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law. Heaven forbid if you think that I came into this world to abolish the law. Jesus said, No. I came to fulfill it. I came to take it to the highest level. And as the followers of Christ, so will we. As a kingdom church for the glory of God, we are committed not only to carry out the Great Commission and to practice the Great Commandments and to observe His Ten Commandments, but we are here to live out His New Commandment. The new kid on the block. As Jesus was teaching His disciples there in John's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 34, He, he pulled a quick one on them. He says, i got a new commandment for you. You shall love one another as I have loved you. And by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Do you understand we have a biblical, divine, God-given mandate in the church to love one another? And not only just to love one another, but a kingdom church for the glory of God understands that we are given a directive from Jesus, a commandment from the Lord Jesus Christ to love one another as He loves us. Folks, that's love. That's love to the nth degree. So please, somebody tell me, how do you get gossip out of loving one another as Christ loves us? How do you get backbiting? How do you get jealousy? How do you get envy? How do you get all the things that disrupt and tear up the fellowship of the church when people are loving one another as Jesus loved? Listen, if we love one another as Christ loved us, then John fifteen thirteen says, Greater love has no man than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friends. Is that how you love one another? That's what Jesus said. 
But I need to move along. Because, you know, as we consider the core values of, of, of having a missional mindset, that helps us to achieve our vision. Core values such as authentic Christian relationships help us, helps us to move forward in the accomplishment of our, our vision. Being a God, gospel-centered church helps us to understand more about our priorities and to achieve this, this vision that God has given to us. But then also as kingdom citizens. And here I want us to stop and consider the characterizing qualities that, that set us apart. What, what do Christians do? What do true followers of Christ look like? What do they act like? What are the characterizing qualities that set us apart? And that's what sanctification is, ladies and gentlemen. God had a name in the Old Testament. Jehovah Makedesh. He's the God that separates His people and sets them apart to be holy. Leviticus 27 and 8. So we are called to be different from the world, not to be weird. We don't want to draw attention to ourselves because we drive around with purple hair and, you know, and scriptures printed all over our head and, you know, no, no. We're not here to be weird. We're here to be different in a holy sense, in a righteous sense. There should be characteristics about us that say, you know what? These people aren't, they're not of this world. They're citizens of another world. And I'd say, you're right. You're right. I'm a citizen of heaven. And I'm trying to act like and live like and, and behave like somebody who belongs to the kingdom of God. So what are some of the characteristics you might note that set us apart? Number one, I believe that a kingdom citizen, that can be you, me, should be. Should be you, should be me. Number one, they engage, or we engage in daily Bible study. Daily Bible study. Being in the Word of God. So that God might speak to us. So many people say, oh, I just wish God would talk to me. I just wish the Lord would tell me what He wants me to do. I just wish the Lord would help me to understand what I'm going through. Well, I'm, and the next thing I want to ask Him is, how much time are you spending in the Word of God? I don't mean just flipping it open and getting a quick verse for devotional and going with your oatmeal in your day. I'm talking about pouring over the Word of God. I don't, I'm not saying that you have to spend three hours before you go to school or work or whatever, but take a, a significant amount of time where you allow the Word of God to speak to you. God to speak to you by His Word. Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, to those Jews who were following Him, He says, If you abide in My words, then you are My disciples indeed. Now, when you abide in something... You, you kind of hunker down. You, you stay there a while. <clears throat> if I get caught in a thunderstorm, you know, I might run into a shed or outhouse or something, you know, just to get out of the rain. I'm not about in there. I'm just temporarily hanging out there until I can get clear of the rain. When I go home and I take my shoes off and kick back and Jane waits on me, well, <laughs> was that amen, honey? Uh, but anyway. I'm there to stay. I abide in it. When Jesus says, if you abide, you get in My Word, and you hang there in My Word, stay there a while, give God time to talk to you. And when we abide in the Word of God, He says, you will know the truth. And the truth of what? Well, what? Set you free. Make you free. Do you wonder why there's so many people, young people, medium-aged people, senior adults living in captivity? Captivity to dysfunctional relationships. Captivity to addictions. Captivity to, to unhealthy emotional feelings. The reason there's so many people enslaved by negative sinful things is they're not in the Word of God. They're not allowing the power of the Spirit of God through the Word of God to set them free. Jesus says you've got to be in the Word. Kingdom citizens engage in daily Bible study. And our love for the Word of God tells us a whole lot about our love for God. I wish you'd just listen. Well, you will, because I'm going to read it. I hope you will. Psalm 119. I, this is, you talk about loving the Word of God. Listen to the psalmist. He says in verse 162, Psalm 119, verse 162, I rejoice at your Word. Talking about the Scriptures. As one who finds great treasure. I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law, the Word. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous judgments, the Word. Great peace have those who love your law, your word. 
And nothing causes them to stumble. Lord, I hope for Your salvation and I do Your commandments. My soul keeps Your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep Your precepts and Your testimonies for all my ways are before You. Oh God, I love Your Word. You understand that there are brothers and sisters in Christ in other parts of the world in Muslim-dominated nations that would virtually give their arm or leg to have a copy of the Word of God. Some have died because they risk having a copy of the Word of God. How dare us throw it on the shelf when we get home from church and pretend that we have been in the Word of God and don't look into it and look into it until you go back to church again. This is the holy inspired, divinely inspired Word of God. We ought to cherish it, read it, but not only engage in daily Bible time, but also have daily prayer time. Hearing God speak to us. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he said, pray without ceasing. Have a constant attitude where, and it's okay. You know, when you, you're driving along, you're talking to the Lord, I just thank you for this beautiful day, Lord. I'm looking forward to the challenges of the day at school and at work. Lord, please help me with that bully at school. Or help me with that bully boss, man. Lord, i got to pay the bills, Lord. And all of a sudden, oh, time out, Lord. Traffic stop. And you show the officer your license. And you, everything's okay. He doesn't arrest you. And you put your license back in. You get back in the car. Oh, and another thing, Lord. See, you, you can have interruptions. But be in a mindset of prayer. Pray daily. Listen to the God. And that's what Jesus says. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you. He says, come to God. God wants us to talk to Him. He wants us to speak to Him and then let Him speak to us. But let me tell you something. In your prayer time, don't forget to include adoration, praise, confession, for other people and then petition end up talking to the Lord about your own needs but daily kingdom citizens are in prayer but let me tell you something else I believe that kingdom citizens commit to practicing biblical giving some of you are better at managing your money than other people but you know the fact is God gives all of us something and He expects us to be good stewards of it and a good steward who is a kingdom citizen understands that a portion of that which God gives to us already belongs to God. Before you think about running to Walmart or, or off to the beach or something, you know what? God said, uh, hold on, hold on. You're carrying a part of mine there with you. <laughs> you know, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, God said, bring all the tithe. How much is all? All. He said, bring what is convenient to the church. He said, bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be bread in my house. And then he goes on and gives us a little challenge. I like that when God says, come on, come on, test me. He says, test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven. And see if I will not pour out for you blessings such that you won't even have room to store them. God says, go ahead. Take me at my word. Give back to me a tithe and, and show me that you trust me and that you love me and watch and see what I will do. It's an unfailing principle. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians in chapter 9, verse 6, he says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly also reaps sparingly. But he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Let each person determine what he will give in his heart, not grudgingly. Some of the ushers, you probably see some pretty sour faces as you're handing that plate around. People holding on that dollar bill like they were letting go of their the mother. You know, oh, oh, I'll see you later. <laughs> I'm, I'm being a little facetious, as Brian's wife would say. But I mean, you yeah, Paul says, don't do it grudgingly. If you're giving your money to, to the church, you know, to God's kingdom, grudgingly, you better keep it. God's not going to bless it. You might as well go on and buy something with it because God's not going to bless it. Paul goes on to say in that same passage, he says, you know, don't give grudgingly or of necessity, 
where the deacons are twisting you off. Come on, brother, you do better than that. Come on. Remember, get that wallet out again. No, no, no. You don't need to do it grudgingly of necessity. He says, for God loves what kind of a giver? A cheerful giver. I've always said, I've always said that the, the offering time ought to be the most cheerful time in the whole service. It ought to be just hilariously exhilarated. People ought to be just standing up. Over here, Usher. Over here. Hold it. Hold it. I can give you some more. Oh, hallelujah. Sometimes it looks like a funeral dirge. But we miss the mark. As kingdom citizens, we realize that the King is generous. The King is gracious. He provides us with everything we need. Amen? He does. He does. And then some. As kingdom citizens, we actively serve in the church, supporting God's work. The church is only as effective and only as strong as the members that make up the church you can't have 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. Listen, every able-bodied, and I emphasize able-bodied because I realize that some people have d- disabilities or problems that would enable them from actively serving. But you know what? Everybody that can should serve in the body of Christ. And let me tell you something. God equips us to do that. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 Peter says each man should use whatever gift he's been given to serve others in the body of Christ. But Eddie did a great job Wednesday night, part one, I guess, of the spiritual gifts. And I always thought the Baptist had the gift of eating, but you haven't got to that one. But anyway, you know, everybody, every born again Christian is given a spiritual gift or gifts by this Holy Spirit. He will equip you to serve in the body of Christ. Not that other people can look at you and say, Oh boy, what a teacher you are. Oh, what a fine exhorter you are. Oh, what a wonderful service helps personal mercy. No, 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 no. It's not for your glorification. It's for God's glorification. You know, in first, in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, the apostle Paul says, And he, speaking of Christ, gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. So that you in turn as the saints can serve in the body of Christ for the building up of the church. Do you, you, you get the formula? The more people that are gifted, serve. The more people serve, makes for a stronger church. Everybody has a place to serve in the body of Christ. So kingdom citizens are serving in the church. Kingdom citizens live holy and fruitful lives. And let me tell you how you bear fruit. You have, to, you have to be in the right position to bear fruit. Jesus says the right position to bear fruit is in Him. He said in John chapter 15, verse 5, He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And He that abides in Me... In other words, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and make Him the Lord of your life, you're saying, Lord, I am in You. Outside of You... I don't exist. I am in you. Everything I am, everything I do, everything I think, every priority I have is in you. You call the shots. And Jesus says when you abide in Him by faith, He says you will bear forth much fruit. I pruned my grapevine over this past winter. Well, I took that thing back to barely nothing. I mean, I was, I was scared, but I'd seen a brochure on how to do grapevines. So I just chopped that thing off. It was just like a little snake hanging on a wire. And I was so, oh, I hope I didn't do it too much. I hope, but you know what? That thing's starting to sprout out. The vine is there. The vine is alive. Now there are branches. Let me tell you something. I don't get my, my, my grapes off of the vine. I get them, my grapes off of the branches. And you know what? If you are in Christ, you will bear forth fruit. You will bear forth spiritual fruit. Jesus went on in that verse to say, and apart from Me, you can't do anything. You can't do anything to glorify God. You can't do anything to please God. You can't do anything of eternal significance. You've got to be in Christ. And that's kingdom citizens. Is there, how much fruit is in your life? Spiritual fruit. Are you a fruitful Christian? From your family and your friends and people that really know you, do they see love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness? 
and self-control. That's all fruit of the Holy Spirit. How much fruit are you bearing in your life? In other words, how many other lives are influenced by your life? How many people are you responsible for influencing towards Christ? How many people's lives have been enriched because you showed the love of God towards them? How fruitful is your life? I need to move along. But you know, as I think about kingdom citizens and the qualities that set us apart, I'm excited over the core values of biblical discipleship because it's in discipleship that we will dig into the Word of God. That's, that's the pruning process. That's the fertilizing process. That's where we are made to be more fruitful. I think about the core value of being a prayerful, dependent church. Listen, when it's God's people are before the Lord and calling upon the name of the Lord, listen, we position ourselves to become citizens of the kingdom. I think about practicing the core value of biblical church membership. If we are guided by biblical principles on matters of membership, listen, when we can look at ourselves and say that we are a biblical church and we are acting as biblical members of the church, let me tell you something, we will see all of these qualities manifested in our lives, or should be. Finally, I want to discuss, what does a kingdom congregation really look like? In other words, the church local congregation. We are the church, the bride of Christ, the body of believers. And I believe that there are certain patterns that distinguish a true kingdom congregation from all the other congregations that are out there on the religious landscape. And folks, I believe there's a clear distinction between what I would call cultural Christianity and biblical Christianity. Just as I was telling my Christian growth group this morning, there's a distinct difference between cultural Christians, those who call themselves Christians, go to church occasionally, you know, go along with most of what the church or the Bible says, but then when the culture puts pressure on them to change and to modify, oh, they'll do that. They're chameleons. That's cultural Christianity. And just as there are cultural Christians that are out there to try to please the culture, to appease the secular mindset of the culture, there are churches out there that are trying to be trendy. They're trying to appease the pleasures of, of the flesh. And they're trying not to upset the apple cart of the secular culture around them. They want to blend in. That's cultural churches. I'm talking about biblical churches. Churches who courageously stand on the rock-solid, unchanging, infallible, inerrant Word of God and say, Thus saith the Lord. Doesn't matter what Washington says. Doesn't matter what Raleigh says. Doesn't matter what the local community wants. Thus saith the Lord. And that's what I'm talking about. And I believe that a biblical congregation will exhibit qualities that you won't find in the other churches. Number one, when it comes to worship, their worship is 100% God-centered. There's no mistake when you walk into the sanctuary of a biblical kingdom congregation. God is the audience. He is the focus of everything said, sung, and done. It's not about man. It's not about pleasure. It's not about comfort. It's not about showing up for half an hour or 45 minutes and say, oh, that was a cute little message that the preacher gave. I like those little jokes and stories. <laughs> Let's go to KNW. A God-centered church has God-centered worship. Listen to the words of the psalmist. You want to take your cues from anybody? Take it from him. He says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In His hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are His also. The sea is His. For He made it and His hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is God and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. How many times did you hear the psalmist say, God, King, Lord? 
say, oh, let's get together and have a little gathering and everybody sing Kumbaya and hey, we just feel good and, and, and don't be uncomfortable. Make sure that everything is suited to our pleasure. Uh-uh. A kingdom church is 100% committed to God-centered worship, but also a kingdom church is committed to fellowship. And I'm talking about biblical fellowship. Romans chapter 12, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, So we who are many form one body, and all the members are interconnected. Each one depends on the other. We're in this thing together, ladies and gentlemen. When we choose to follow the King of glory and we choose to make His Word the guiding light of our lives and we choose to give His Holy Spirit authority over our spirit and we choose to call ourselves children of the King, then i got news for you. The family is knitted together. And when one member is rejoicing and celebrating, we all will rejoice and celebrate. When one member is in pain and struggling, then we will stand along with them. When they cry, we will cry. When they have a need, it's our need. In the good and the bad, we are a covenant community. And if you've ever exchanged wedding vows and taken a ring upon your finger, you gave some vows to that other person that is the love of your life. And those vows says, in the good times and the bad times, the hard times, the easy times, sickness and health, rich or poor, doesn't matter. I'm with you till death do us part. Since when is the church relieved of our covenant responsibility to one another? We have a God-given responsibility to fellowship with one another, to stay with one another, to stick with each other, to encourage one another, to love one another. And yes, when someone strays in their walk with God, we don't just turn our back and talk behind their back and say, Oh, isn't that something about so brother so-and-so over there? He's, he's getting into sin. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Hey, listen, that's not God's Word. God's Word says you go to that brother. You go in a spirit of humility. You go in a spirit of love. And you confront him or her in their sin with the purpose of bringing them back into fellowship with Christ and in fellowship with the church. That's what Christian fellowship is about. The kingdom church is committed to godly biblical discipleship. Jesus said, go make disciples. He didn't say go make converts. He said, go out there and preach some kind of a message where people just raise their hand and sign a card, have some emotional experience. He said, no, you recruit them. To follow Jesus. And then you teach them. Don't just get a head count and say, Oh, hallelujah, we had 254. Let's go on to the next gathering. <laughs> Folks, that is so unbiblical. You go one on one if you have to, or two on two. You engage lost people with the truth of the gospel. And then when God, when God saves them, then you invest yourself into helping them to know how to follow Jesus Christ. And you encourage them and you, you exhort them and you inspire them. You hold them accountable. That's what discipleship is about. And I appreciate Brother Eddie and the leadership he gives to our church and discipleship and how important it is. You know, Jesus said in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 40, He says that the people is never greater than the teacher. So i got bad news for some of you that think you're more holy than Jesus. You'll never get better than the teacher. <laughs> but He says, everyone, after we have been discipled, after we have been thoroughly equipped, He says, everyone, if you follow through with biblical discipleship, He says, everyone will become like the teacher. That's my goal. That's what Christianity is about. It's becoming more and more like Jesus. We have failed miserably in our purpose as a church if we are not helping people to come from changing from that lost, depraved, wicked, sinful nature to becoming more like Christ and more like Christ and more like Christ and more like Christ. The biblical kingdom congregation is committed to worship, God-centered worship and biblical fellowship and biblical discipleship and consistent ministry, serving one another in humility in the body of Christ. And then finally, the church, the kingdom church is committed to kingdom discipleship or evangelism rather. I'm sorry. Evangelism. Oh God, forgive us 
that we become so caught up in our buildings and our programs and our activities that we lost the burden for lost people. We mean that God's people stop crowding the altar with tears and crying out before God for people who are on the very fringes of going into the eternal pits of hell. When did Christians become so sophisticated that we can't become tearful and crying out to God and begging God to use us to help those who don't know Jesus Christ to come to know Christ that they may avoid the fiery pits of hell? When have we lost the sensitivity to those who are lost and separated from Christ? Every one of us has a responsibility to tell others about Jesus Christ. But our kingdom church for the glory of God is absolutely committed to doing everything within its resources and power to help the lost to come to Christ. Aren't you glad that somebody, somebody cared enough for you to tell you about Jesus? Could have been a family member, could have been a church member, could have been a pastor or deacon or a co-worker or a schoolmate. Somebody led you to Jesus. Now you're saved. Now you're going to heaven. Now you'll be in the presence of the Lord forever. Hallelujah. But if somebody cared that much for us, we ought to care. Paul says in Colossians 4, 5, he says, Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Oh, listen. I pray to God that I never, never, never have a guest of our church when I call them to follow up their visit say to me, oh, you know, preacher, I don't know if you realize this, but you got a pretty cool congregation there. I don't mean cool in terms of being faddish. I'm talking about they're cold. Nobody talked to me. Nobody said anything to me. No one went out of their way to make me feel welcome. Paul says, be wise. In the way you act towards outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. Folks, you don't know how it is that God directed someone to come to be in our fellowship to worship with us, but you make it a point to get to them, at least to let them know you're glad they're there, there. And mean it. I went to a little church we were on vacation one time. It was a Baptist church. I thought, sure, I'm going to go over there. Brothers and sisters will be hugging my neck and everything, making me, shoot, probably invite me to lunch. Yeah, I went into church, sat down, nobody came over to talk to me. People walk right by me. They're going to sit down and say, ooh, I better move on over here. <laughs> I was over there isolated. Little church. I said, I can't have this. You know, you know me. I, I, I said, I, I can't have this. So, as soon as the message was over, and they had, and, and I, to their credit, the preacher was there. He was out on, out of town, probably vacation in Winston Salem. <laughs> but anyway, here they had a guest preacher. But, but I, I just said, okay. Soon as my brother says, "Amen," I'm gonna be the first one to the front door, not to leave, not to leave. But I want you to know, I stood in that front door, and not one of them church members left that church that day that I didn't shake their hand and greet them and say, "Hey." Thanks for letting me worship with you today. I had a good time. I'm Charlie Martin from Winston-Salem. I'm a Baptist preacher up in Winston. Thank y'all so much. You know, <laughs> the same group now that wouldn't bother to come over and say, hey, glad to have you here today. They were waiting in the parking lot. I couldn't leave. They all standing around talking, you know. Oh, so not, so you and your family are vacationing down here. They still didn't take me to lunch, but that's okay. I don't penalize them. But the fact, oh, listen, we, we as the body of Christ have got to reach out. Kingdom churches understand the importance of evangelism. We have a theme. And we sang the theme song. Thank you, Brother Eddie and Sister Pat for leading us in that. Our best. I love that song. I just wish we could live up to it. Because so many times we give God leftovers. What's left over in our money? What's left over in our time? What's left over in our energy? And that song says, "Uh uh-uh. Our best. And our theme message, if you will, or closing statement says, Our best for God's glory. Our best for God's glory. Our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be glorified as every member matures in Christ-likeness and commits to fulfill God's divine purposes for their life and the life of this church. 
Our God deserves nothing but the best. I don't know about you. I can't speak for you. But I know I'm speaking wholeheartedly for myself. And I believe with all my heart I speak for my wife, Jan. We're committed to this vision. We have poured 27 years of our life into helping this church become what God wants it to be. And it's our determination that we'll give everything within us as a pastor and wife to help Cornerstone move forward, applying the God-given core values and, and everything that God provides for us to fulfill this biblical vision. Becoming a kingdom church for the glory of God. Folks, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church I want my name associated with. That's the kind of church that I want to get raptured out of. And I looked in the face of the Lord and said, Lord, it's all for Your kingdom, King Jesus. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, we thank You. Oh, we praise You. How great and awesome You are. You are holy and righteous, perfect and pure, loving and caring and patient. Oh Lord, we praise You, Lord Jesus, that You would love us enough to come into this wicked, sinful world to shed Your blood on the cross, endure the agony that goes beyond our imagination, suffer, Lord, in a way that we can't even relate to, that You could pay the price for our sins. Holy Spirit, we recognize that You are the very Spirit of the living God and the fact that You indwell us as believers. What an awesome reality that is. That You are here with us to help us as a helper, as a comforter, to fulfill our God-given purpose of becoming a kingdom church for the glory of God. Oh Lord, I pray You take this message, take this vision, inspire the hearts of the members. And even for those who are not members here at Cornerstone, Lord, I pray that You'll use this to inspire them as they look and engage themselves in their churches. So God, we pray, let Your will be done here today. If there are decisions that need to be made, Lord, I pray that You would impress it upon our hearts right now. It's all for You, Lord. It's all for Your glory. And we praise You in Jesus' name. Amen.